yeah, guys, I I don't drink caffeine because it like has very major effects to my body. And I accidentally ordered a coffee on the phone with Ali earlier and I did not ask for a decaf. And so now here we are. So apologize ahead of time. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Spooky Chicks and Horror Flicks. We are your hosts, Emma. And I am Allie, or Allison, or Allie Much, or Allison Lopez, or Little Rock Girl, or Little Poopy Pants, which you'll hear more about in a little bit. Shortly. Yes. <laughs> and for those of you who are new to the podcast, we are two best friends who love everything spooky and all things horror, and we drink wine and talk about our favorite horror movies. Or White Claw in my instance. Sorry, yeah. We Ali is a recent convert to the White Claw. To the Claw. Please sponsor us. <laughs> Please. <laughs> and today we have a very, very special film to review, which is the 1996 Scream, directed by Wes Craven. And this film is also super special because not only is this our sixth overall episode, which is so exciting, but it is our fifth installment of our summer slasher series and our last film to kick off that series. You guys, I'm going to be biased. This is probably one of my favorite horror films and I'll get into it later. I completely agree, but no surprise there. (laughs) (laughs) Everything's your favorite. It is my favorite. I love this film for the pure fact that there are so many horror movie references within this horror movie. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the main things that makes it one of my favorites. Allie, what are we drinking today? Well, to nobody's shock (laughs) or delight, I am drinking a black cherry white claw in a wine glass. What are you drinking, Emma? (laughs) She's back, people. I'm back. (laughs) I actually have a little bit of a little bit of a wild card today. Mm. Alert the troops. I have something different. I am drinking a wine called Dearly Beloved I the Red from Trader Joe's. I'm actually drinking a red today, which never happens. So cheers to episode six. Chaz. Woo! All right, and then Ali, on to our favorite part, which is our rose and thorn of yes, the last week. And you get to go first this time. Oh, do, oh okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Oh, sorry. Oh, oh, it's okay. <laughs> okay. So I actually have two that are dog related. So I'm going to start with my thorn because my rose is really sweet. My thorn is that I have been noticing a little bit of an issue with Cowboy and I think it's just, I've been so busy recently. I've been leaving him a lot and the poor boy is just very anxious. And after Allie, myself, and our friend Zuli went to Boston and Salem last year, Zuli got Cowboy a lobster toy. Mm. It's his favorite toy. He loves it. When our other dog, Nala, tries to grab it or play with it, he's like, absolutely not. Like, that is my toy. And he loves it to death. And he has chewed off one claw. And then his grandma, my mom, she fixed it. And the other night, he chewed the other claw and actually swallowed it. And then threw it up in the middle of the night. So (laughs) that was really fun. Cowboy. So I've been working on getting a throw-up stain out of his favorite white blanket that goes on his bed. I mean, it's gross. It's a dog blanket. So it's like not anything I need to be super concerned about. But it's a little bit of a thorn. And then my rose. And Allie, I actually don't know if I told you this yet. 
But my parents are going to meet a little pupper on Wednesday <gasps> to potentially adopt. No. Yeah. So fun, really short story. I follow several Facebook pages that are like dogs that need like to be rehomed in San Diego. And I have seen this dog reposted several times and her name is Ella and she's a like 13 pound Chihuahua, but she's like oh black and white spotted. So she like kind of looks like cowboy a little bit. For those of you that don't know, we actually lost our family dog, Ruby, back in April. And it's been really, really tough on all of us and especially my parents. They're both retired and Ruby was essentially like the center of their whole lives. Mm -hmm. So they're going to meet a little Ella girl, I think, in like the next couple days. And, you know, hopefully if all goes well, she'll be our new little family pup. Oh, I'm so excited. I know. I'm really excited. John and Christine. I know. They need, we love yeah. them. They, they need you. a little baby to take yes. care of. But Allie, what are, what's your rose and thorn? I might start with my thorn. You know what, you guys? <laughs> our mission is to be relatable on this podcast. And uh, I some I'm loving things. the start. I'm loving the start. Yeah. I did something dumb, and I suffered the consequences, <laughs> and it was pure just stupidity. So, Have you seen This is the End with like Jonah Hill and stuff when he's like, something not so chill happened? <laughs> That's basically what it is, yes. <laughs> I am still alive, so I'm grateful. Yep. But the not so chill thing is I'm really close with my mom, obviously, if you've listened to the other podcasts that we've done. Uh, I was at a laundry detergent. I, I was at her house and I said, hey, can I just borrow a little bit to do my next load? Because we hadn't done some in a while. She being the loving mother that she is, she said, yeah, of course. And she put some in a water bottle. And um, I feel like I know where this is going. Yeah. I have this in my house and I, I labeled it laundry. So I wouldn't make the mistake because all day I was saying, you know what? I feel like I'm going to drink this. <laughs> <laughs> So I put it on my washing machine at my house where I was ready to do my laundry. And then Kevin and I, my husband, were rushing out the door to go to dinner. And I see a water bottle because, again, I am I recognize these bottles. I grab it and I sit in his car and I take a sip. And I'm like, oh, shit. Wait, so, did you like swallow it? I think I probably ingested a little bit oh. based on what happens next. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. Again, we're trying to be relatable here. I, I think I probably ingested a little bit of it, and then I ran into the house and spit it out and was washing my mouth out. And then um, the fun stuff after that was we went to the restaurant. I was freaking out the entire time, like, looking up CDC facts. Oh, my God. You're like, do I need to call poison control? Literally, yes. <laughs> oh, no. I think I it came out of my body because once I – uh got home and I feel like you just need to say it. I know. Just say just it. Say okay. It. You guys, I shit my pants. <laughs> but at least the detergent came out of me. I, we have all shit our pants. We all shit our pants. I have shit my pants. Yeah. I think we all have. But, so uh, this is a safe space for you, Allie. I just want you well, to Well let's see. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my thorn is I uh, you know, drink laundry detergent on accident and shit my pants. And then my rose. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly on to the next. So I went to a grape stomp the other weekend. Apparently September is... Thanks for the invite. Okay. I didn't know that September's like grape month. I mean, it makes sense. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. 
So I went to a grape stomp and I went with one of my best friends. Shout out Lindsay. She Shout out Lindsay. We, what? She doesn't listen. I'm literally going to text her right now. Pretty sure she doesn't know what a podcast is. <laughs> so I went to a grape stomp and it's my favorite little town where I got married. I had a lote. It was delicious. <gasps> if you haven't tried it, it's Mexican street corn. Please try it. Please try it. We did try the stomping of the grapes and I can say that I've done it now. Is yeah, it, is that their, your first time doing it? Yes. Oh. Is it disgusting? Yes, basically. Did it kind of remind you of blood? Yes. Oh. Like gooey blood, not like... I'm trying to think of like what the texture would not feel like Not like viscous blood. It's like yeah. gooey, like gore. It's not like Ooh, like chunks watery. of flesh. Chunks. There we go. Oh, okay. Wow. But I can say I've done it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, those are, so you had fun. Yeah. yeah I've had a very... Uh, I've had a very chunky rose and thorn, I guess. That is, oh my God, I just put two and two together. <laughs> oh, Allie. I know. Just, hey. Again, trying to be relatable. I'm here for the people. <laughs> okay, so then moving on, uh, I do want to stop everyone right now and give a little bit of a spoiler alert. So if you have not watched the film, please stop right now and go watch it. And if you decide to proceed, you know, that's on you. I also want to say that for this film in particular, we're actually going to be talking quite a bit about the killer, so to speak. So, and we're going to talk about it pretty early in our film review. So again, if you don't want to know who the killer is and you would rather watch the film first or like find out at the end, please proceed with caution. Please proceed. Yes. Because the notes we have about this film that we both love have a lot to do with the tellings of like what's going to happen. Yep. All right, team. So next, you know what's coming up. We are doing our trivia section. So write them down. And we're going to write ours down as well. And then, uh, yeah, we'll reveal at the end of the movie. All right. Question number one. Who painted the famous artwork, quote unquote, the scream that partially inspired the ghost faced mask? Oh, my God. This is so frustrating because I know it and I know this painting. It literally just came to my brain. I don't know if it's right. Okay, I'm writing well, it down. Here I'm we go. Down. Okay, okay, okay. I'm writing it down. I'm writing it down. Okay. And question number two. What early horror scream queen has a cameo as a reporter in this film? I also know this, but I can't think of it right off the top of my head. I don't know if I know this but, one, but I'm... Oh my God, I read it somewhere. Okay. All right, question number three. Finish this famous psycho quote used by the killer at the end of the film. We all go a little blank sometimes. Can I check my notes? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, wait, I know it. I know it. So in terms of the synopsis for this film, a year after the murder of her mother, a teenage girl is terrorized by a masked killer who targets her and her friends by using scary movies as part of a deadly game. I love it. <laughs> I think we mentioned at the top of the podcast, but... This is truly one of my favorite horror films because of all of the odes to classic horror films within this film. Yeah, so the basic info about this film, and I might get into the weeds of this because you know I like to get me into some weeds of information. She loves to get into some weed, if you will. Weeds. Oh, sorry, weeds. <laughs> <laughs> With an S. <laughs> 
so Scream was released on December 20th of 1996. As I was reading this, I realized this is basically a late birthday gift for Miss Emma Errett over here. It's for me. Yes, it was for her. Because her birthday (laughs) is just the... My fifth birthday. Fourth, I think. No, 1996. Oh, am I really bad at math? Yeah, you're really bad. I've always been bad at math, so thank you. Anyways. I feel so honored. Happy birthday to me. Regardless of my math bad skills. math skills. <laughs> happy birthday gift to you. Oh my God, thank you. And initially I was like, okay, why the fuck would you release this in December and not like right before Halloween? That is an interesting time. Yeah. I read in my fun facts that they wanted to release this because a lot of people go to the cinemas on like Christmas Christmas Day. Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They wanted an option that was a horror film and not just wait. I actually really like that. Yeah. So oh. I wrote down if I was four. No, it's five. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have seen that if I weren't four or five. <laughs> yeah. On Christmas Day. Yeah. True. 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 So it makes sense, and it actually. Topped the 15th highest grossing movie of 1996. So I guess they picked a good weekend. A good or weekday. We don't know. It's Christmas. Oh, yeah, true. Well, I feel like they they kind of went on a, out on a limb to experiment that, and I'm glad it worked out for them. <laughs> so this film was directed by Wes Craven, which if you remember a couple episodes ago, we did A Nightmare on Elm Street, which is also a Wes Craven film. And this is a really cool fact. This film was written by Kevin Williamson, who wrote the 1997 hit, I Know What You Did Last Summer. And mm-hmm. this film is actually what sort of kicked off the production for I Know What You Did Last Summer. His original screenplay for that film was shot down. But then when people saw the success of Scream in 1996, then I Know What You Did Last Summer was immediately greenlit for him to create. And what I read, and, you know, we don't know how factual all these facts we've gathered are, <laughs> but... Google, IMDb. Yes. <laughs> several weird blog Reddit. sites. Yeah, Reddit. <laughs> Apparently, Wes Craven didn't want to direct this film because mm-hmm. he wanted to stray away from the horror genre. Which is so interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs> there it oh, is. There oh, it fuck. is. The first interesting. <laughs> Todd, start the count. <laughs> Could be not factual at all, but I read that when he saw that Drew Barrymore signed on, he was like, He was in. He was like, Word. Oh, let's go. Hell yeah. Yeah. Honestly, as would I. And something else that I thought was kind of crazy, not interesting, but crazy, <laughs> is this was rated R. Mm. And in my eyes in 2023, this would probably be a PG 13 for sure. Yeah. Because I tried to count. The amount of times they say fuck, and I only heard one, but I could be just sensitive to it. You know know what it could be, though? And spoiler alert, there are several scenes where people's guts are literally, like, cut out of them. So it might just be the gore factor. Think about... And we don't see any boobs. We don't see any boobs. Wow. There's not a lot of foul language, and we... Interesting. Yeah. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) So... When the original cut was sent to the studios, it was labeled as an NC-17. And I'm like, I want to see. What? I know. Let's see that cut. I, that's exactly what I'm saying. Do you think I we see Sydney's boobs? Probably not. Nev Campbell would never. Yeah, she wouldn't. Just kidding. We love so, you, Nev. But I, I want to see that cut of yeah. Scream. If anyone has it or has connections, 
Let 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 your girls know. Please. Please. <laughs> and for the IMDb score of this film, we've got another 7.4 out of 10, which as you guys all know by now is pretty high for a horror film. And for Rotten Tomatoes, the tomato meter says 81% okay. and the audience score says 80%, which is pretty freaking good. But again, I'm biased. I love this movie so much. And I'd be like, let's bump it up to like a 90. I don't know. Let's just do 100. Let's do 100. <laughs> Even though. Let's go all the way. And I, I will keep repeating myself. I am very biased that I love this movie, but I will beat the shit out of it because <laughs> that's I'm the bad cop. Yeah. And there's a lot to unpack. There is a lot there's to unpack. There's a lot we, to unpack. We have a lot of notes. And something that we did kind of mention at the very beginning of the podcast is, you know, we had that spoiler alert. And we are going to talk about who the killer is. Okay. This is your last (laughs) chance because there's just stuff we need to talk about. Like, if we're going to review this film, we have to talk about it immediately because the killer is something to talk about from the start of the film all the way to the finish. Yes. So, spoiler. Go watch it. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. Go watch it. And then come back. (laughs) You've been warned. (laughs) For our top build cast, we have Neve Campbell, who plays our main gal, Sydney. Bruh, it's a Nev. Is it Nev? Yes. Fuck. We have Nev Campbell, who plays our main gal, Sydney. Another weird little fact about Nev Campbell. Nev. Nev. Emma. Sorry, Nev. <laughs> God, sorry, Nev. So she was in, also in The oh, Craft. Yes. Uh, Yes. That was released the same year. We love the craft. We love the craft. Oh, we love the craft. And it's about witchy women, which is why we love it, obviously. Ooh, witchy woman. Okay. So that movie was released actually in 1996 as well. And okay, that, wait. I did not know that. Yes. So, and another fun or interesting, depending on who you look. Or fascinating. Or fascinating or, or crazy. Freaking cool. Or kismet. Fact is Skeet Ulrich is also <gasps> Oh in yes, that. yes. And actually Nev Campbell, she was rooting for Skeet Ulrich in this film because he did accompany her in the craft and she loved working with him so much that she really wanted him to be in Scream as well. We have Courtney Cox who plays Gail. And a cool fact about Courtney is that she specifically asked to play like a bitchy role in this film because she did not she kind of wanted to break away from monica from friends so she kind of wanted something that was a little bit different a little bit off the cuff and then we also have david arquette who plays deputy dewey or dwight which is actually rose mcgowan who plays tatum he plays her older brother brother. but another interesting david arquette and Courtney Cox actually got married after this and they were married for several years and I thought they kind of looked the same in the (laughs) film, like as age wise. Yeah. And it turns out David Arquette is actually seven years younger than Courtney Cox. Okay. I weirdly, I weirdly could see that. She goes, oh, my demographic is 18 to 24, I guess. I just missed you. And he was like, well, I was 24. He says, well, I was 24 for a whole year. Yeah. It's a cute little 
cute little thing. But yeah, they actually were married, and then they had to work on several more films together. So. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there have been several romances now that we've brought up in these films. Another one is Sarah Michelle Gellar and Freddie Prince Jr., who Freddie oh, Prince right. Jr. was also up for a role in this film, or he auditioned Ooh. for a role. I forget which character specifically, but I did I did read about that as well. And then we also have, I mean, as we kind of mentioned previously, we have Ski Ulrich, who plays Billy. I've deemed him lover boy of this film. Oh my God, he's so hot. So that was my main note. He's so hot. Hot in all caps. And I have thought he is hot, I mean, since the beginning of time. Whatever first film I saw him in, and I still think he's hot when he's on Riverdale. My first film that I saw him in was probably Scream. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And everything I've seen him in, hot. So hot. Hot take. Skeet Ulrich, so hot. Want to touch touch the hiney. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. And then we also have classic, our little sweet gal, Drew Barrymore, who plays Casey. We have Rose McGowan, who I also previously mentioned, who plays Tatum. Matthew Lillard, also hot. Who plays Stuart or Stu. Stu. What I was thinking is, physically, I'm a Billy girl. Mentally? Mentally, I'm I'm a a Stuart girl. girl. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I kind of wholeheartedly agreed with that, but I am going to bring something up a little bit later. I mean, I guess I could bring it up now, but Mm. Matthew Lillard does this thing with his acting that I don't particularly love, and it gives me the ick every single time, Mm. is he tends to drool and spit a lot. That's true. <laughs> like, a lot in several films I've seen him in. And I love him to death. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, he's the best. He is in several films that I absolutely love his acting in. But that is just one thing that I, like, notice every single time. And I'm like, oh, I just can't. <laughs> You're definitely not wrong. Also, you know when a guy's like, not really attractive, but their personality makes them more attractive? Oh, yeah. And he's tall. Like, and we all know tall. that that, like, there's a tall thing. You know, you get, like, you get extra points just for being tall. And he's in the Descendants, which I also love. But we also have Jamie Kennedy as well in this film who plays Randy. And Randy in this film is actually one of my favorite characters. Same. For several reasons that we can dive into later. But one of the biggest ones is that he works at a movie store. And I wish that I worked at a movie store. Don't, I think that would be the perfect career for us. I think that would be an amazing job. Also... I was looking him up and I was like, what do I, what else do I know him from? He was in 1996's Same Year Scream, Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio I'm and sorry. Claire Danes. Mm-hmm. What? Yep. Who did he play? He played, I don't know, it's like, I think his name is like Samson or something. He's on Romeo's side and it was directed by Boz Lerman. So it's like all over the place with colors and acid trips. But he was in that the same year and I was like, Oh, okay. Something I like to know, I'm a big soundtrack girly, just mm-hmm. like in Tarantino films, he's a big soundtrack guy. The iconic song, Red Right Hand by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, always puts me in a spooky mood. And it's in Ooh. the films like Red Right Hand. It wasn't written for this film, but it basically is synonymous with Scream. It is a spooky song. It definitely gets you sort of like in the spooky mood for sure. And the whole soundtrack in general, like that rendition of Don't Fear the Reaper. Yes. Okay. B.O.C. I'll take it. I love Blue Oyster Cult. So any kind of rendition (laughs) I'm into. 
what I'll say about this film on my end, I will beat the shit out of this film wherever I can. Yep. In a loving way. You still have notes. Yes. And I was watching this yesterday in preparation, and my husband and his best friend were sitting on the couch saying, oh, what are you watching? And they said, you're you're doing the big podcast. And I said, what do you mean by the big podcast? Because it's one of my favorite films? And they said, no, because it's one of the most iconic horror films of all time or for our generation. Because, again, I know we were like four or five when it came out, you know, brought to life a new genre of horror for us to realize. Okay, that definitely just like made me so nervous. <laughs> Why? It's the big podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all pressure. And, of course, I had caffeine today. Of course I had caffeine today. So before we dive fully into the film, I had a couple of other things that I wanted to bring up. One of them is that this film was actually going to be called Scary Movie, which, as a lot of you may know, is a very funny film that came out after Scream that was parodying this entire film. And the producer and I actually watched it pretty recently. And God damn, it's so funny. Ew. You don't like it? Not for me. It's it is a different type of comedy, I will say, but like we really like the Wayans brothers and I, I love that it almost goes scene for scene. Like even when Casey gets stabbed in the very, very beginning in the chest, like I can't help but think of Carmen Electra getting stabbed and then him pulling out her breast implant. Like it's just it's burned into my brain. I thought about that too. See? Yes. It's burned in your brain. Oh boy. So they did something right. <laughs> I also really love that Rose McGowan, she actually has publicly said multiple times that this was her favorite filming mm-hmm. experience of any movie that she's done. That's big to say that. Like, that's huge. For her. For-, for, for her, for every project that she's done. She's been in so many different things. I mean, that's huge and really cool. And you, If you don't know much about Rose McGowan, she is very public if she doesn't like a filming experience. This is amazing to hear that this was her favorite. We're going to jump into the film now. One of my favorite things about this film is that they just really just, hey, this is Scream. So they just jumpstart it with Scream in big text as the title scene. Yes. Yeah. That was, I was going to say during like the title, they just like have it immediately like, boom, here it is. There's no like pre, you know, title scene sequence or anything. It just goes right into it. And we immediately also hear a phone ringing, which is very indicative of what we're going to be hearing throughout the rest of the film. And then we immediately see Drew Barrymore's character, Casey, and she answers the phone. She thinks it's a wrong number. They're like, hi, who is this? She's like kind of talking back and forth. And she's like, oh, like, sorry, you have the wrong number. Bye. And she hangs up on them. The phone call happens again. So they call again and she is sort of just like, hi, you know, what's up? And he kind of has a little bit of a flirty tone with her. Oh, 100%. She's entertaining the conversation. Yeah, she's like playing along. Yeah. And just one thing is I looked it up. Caller ID was invented in 1989. And I know we all had house phones. All of the house phones in this film... Don't have caller ID. Which is so weird. I totally noticed that as well. Yeah. And I think that that's actually something that gets called out quite a bit by people that, like, have critiqued this film since is, like, dude, where was the caller ID? Like, can we just star 67 these people? (laughs) I used to do that. I used to do that all the time. (laughs) And at this point, too, we're also seeing Casey is making some popcorn 
And she is talking to the person again on the phone and they're kind of asking her, so what are you doing? Like, what are you up to? And she says that she's going to watch something, just some scary movie. He proceeds to ask her what her favorite scary movie is. And she says that Halloween is her favorite scary movie. And she says, and I have it written down here in quotes, she says, you know, like those guys in the white masks who stalk babysitters. Then she asks him what his favorite scary movie is. Right. He says A Nightmare on Elm Street, which was a Wes Craven film. So kind of a funny little connection there. Little, yeah. <laughs> and if you haven't listened to that podcast, go listen to it, by the way. <laughs> then Casey says, yeah, that's a good one, but the rest of them sucked. <laughs> She's like, all the sequels were terrible. <laughs> yeah. And actually, Wes Craven wanted to cut that out, but the writer, Kevin Williamson, convinced him to keep it in because why not? Yeah, Wes Craven was a little concerned that he was going to come off as like really like an egomaniac (laughs) and they decided to keep it in. Then they are still kind of talking on the phone. I think at this point it's starting to get a little bit freaked out and she kind of is like, who are you? Blah, blah, blah. And then he says, you know, well, what's your name? And she's like, well, you know, why do why do I need to give you my name? He says, I want to know who I'm looking at. But then he also says. I want to know who I'm talking to right after that Mm -hmm. to kind of throw her off. Yeah, exactly. Because she, I think she says like, what did you say? And then he's like, oh, I want to know who I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. And she's like, that's not what you said. Then she basically threatens to like hang up on him. And I think she actually does. She does. Yeah. And then he calls back. My question to you, Emma, is like, if somebody continuously called you on your landline and you're home by yourself and they were like sort of taunting you, would you keep picking up? I think there's like one of two things that I would do slash maybe both of them. And maybe me, I would probably play along a little bit at first. But then if it got to like a certain point where I was just personally over it, I'd be like, okay, I'm done. Like, and I would try to block the phone number or try to go to extreme depths to find out who they are. Because as people know, girls, we have our resources and we can find out who you are. So... Or girls like me who are lazy will do nothing. <laughs> and just let it and keep happening. And just go to sleep. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you provided a different perspective. <laughs> At this next scene, we have Casey picking up the phone again. And the person on the other end is now yelling at her in a very creepy voice. And they're kind of just like, don't you dare hang up on me. Blah, blah, blah. You know, it's very threatening sounding. And she runs around the entire house and is trying to lock all of the doors. She is trying to... Wait, also, shouldn't your... If you're home alone, her parents aren't there, shouldn't her doors be locked? I don't know. Yes, but I will say it sort of just depends on where you live. Like, they definitely, I think later in the movie, they make a couple of references to how safe the town is and how, you know, they haven't had anything happen in a long time, blah, blah, blah. And so it could just be one of those like smaller towns where people just feel safe to like have their houses sort of unlocked you guys always lock your doors and it's not that hard to just unlock them yeah after you've locked them bring your keys bring your keys all right there's our psa there's your psa for the podcast (laughs) okay so then at this point after she's like locking all of the doors she hears like the front doorbell ring which obviously freaks her out and scares her the phone rings again she gets on the phone with the killer and they are asking her some questions and she's trying to make it sound like she's safe she's like you know my boyfriend is about to come over and like you know he's a big football player and he's gonna kick kick your your ass." ass I love that line. (laughs) And he's like, is your boyfriend's name Steve? 
And that's also another point in the movie where we get another spine tingling moment where it's like, how the hell would this caller know that her boyfriend's name is Steve? And you can tell on her face that she is truly genuinely freaked out. Then we start the game. They ask her to flip on the lights outside in the patio. And she's very scared to flip those on. And as she flips it on, she sees her boyfriend, Steve, kind of banged up and tied to a Kind chair. of. I mean, well, <laughs> he gets a lot worse. Sorry. Spoiler alert well, later. Yeah. But, you know, he's definitely banged up and he is tied to a chair. And the person on the other end of the phone says that they are going to do a trivia game with her. And they said that they are going to ask her a series of questions. And if she gets them wrong... Steve dies. He starts asking a series of questions regarding horror films. She gets one wrong. Everybody dies. So the first one is, who was the killer in Halloween? And she answers correctly, which is Michael Myers. I think everybody knows that. And there's a lot of Halloween references in this, which is amazing because we love that film. And the second question is, who is the killer in Friday the 13th? And Which is kind of a trick question. Yes. She answers Jason. I also want to point out that at this time, too, she's obviously in a panic. Oh, so for sure. So even when she answers Mike Myers, whatever, like, she's crying. Like, she's not just like, oh, my God, it's Mike Myers. She is like, <laughs> Mike Myers. She answers the question of who's the killer in Friday the 13th as Jason, as many people would probably suspect, And she's very adamant about that answer. And the killer goes, wrong. It's Mrs. Voorhees, Jason's mom, which is accurate because the Jason doesn't become the killer until the second film. So he's got her, yes. And unfortunately, her boyfriend, Steve, gets the, the punishment. She has to witness him getting his stomach sliced open by the killer. Yeah. It's crazy, too, because it's at the very beginning of the film, and it's just, like, right into the action. Like, all of a sudden, dude in a chair with all of his guts spilled out. So it's it's pretty graphic, I will say. Definitely warning for that. And then, like, immediately after that happens, she's obviously freaking out, and she's, like, going to other areas of the house, and a chair actually gets thrown through the door, through the sliding glass door, and totally shatters, like, all of the glass. And so now there is this lost element of protection, you know? Mm -hmm. And I will say she does have a lot of, like, window-ish doors and stuff in this house, which I feel like they always, you know, do in these, like, scary movies. Um, Also in beautiful wine country. Great. (laughs) (laughs) For the view, baby. (laughs) But what I was going to say, and I'm going to get some rebuttal from my teammates here. Yeah, you are. I'm like, I've had caffeine today. She has, and it's evident. <laughs> it's apparent. And I love you. I love you. But I don't I don't think I've ever done the on the stove popcorn. I get it, I get it, like it's cute and kitschy, but like not nuke effective. It, nuke it for seven minutes or whatever it says popcorn. I'm pretty sure it's like two and a half. Okay. Do put not the, nuke your popcorn for seven minutes. Put the popcorn button on. <laughs> It'll do it in the microwave. All right. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, so then popcorn is burning. At this point, Casey does the one smart thing that she could possibly do, which is grab a weapon. And she does grab a butcher knife from the butcher block. As she continues to defend herself, she's running and holding a phone and a massive knife. 
And I'm pretty sure I would impale myself immediately. <laughs> That's why I'm the last or the, the first That's girl. That's why you're the first girl. I'm the first girl. I'm like, no, I'm ha- I have final girl energy over here. Uh-uh. I'm like, no, bitch, yeah. I will get this guy. I would have given up. Then. I'm either going to get him or I'm going to get out. Get him or get out. Good for you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and she actually sees the killer in the house and freaks out, basically runs outside. And and I want to note, too, that this is the first time that we see the apparent, like, killer, so to speak. And they ghost are face. ghost face. Scream is known by millions of people for such an iconic horror film and just for the iconic costume that the killer wears which is essentially just like this all over black outfit and there is this creepy kind of smiley ghost face mask almost reminiscent of a nun Ooh, right yeah like if you squint your eyes and not really look at it it's like nun vibes It, it is nun vibes just like with the you know, the white and the black mm-hmm. and like the whole dress thing. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. So Casey is like, okay, I'm fucking out. And so she runs out into her yard. You know, she sees poor Steve with his cut guts and which is very sad. And she actually sees a car approaching and kind of sort of near her property. I don't know. It's not clear if it's coming up the actual road to her property or if it's just kind of like driving by near it. But she sees like a vehicle and is like, okay, you sort of have this glimmer of hope that she's going to like find someone and maybe get some help. So that's what I kind of noted as well is the yard must be vast because while she's running, she does see that. And the killer is chasing her and kind of mutilating her her parents do drive in that car it is her parents the parents do drive up well and to that point too ali as she's running through the yard the killer does catch up to her and stabs her in the chest which if you remembered (laughs) what i mentioned previously if you've watched scary movie carmen electra plays the counterpart to drew barrymore And in Scary Movie, he stabs her in the chest and pulls out her breast implant, which I always thought was so silly and funny as a kid, as a kid, as a teenager and a young adult. And now (laughs) still think it's funny. And Ali, to your point, too, we do find out that it actually is her mom and dad that are coming home and they don't see her. So that was my point. So while they're coming through the doors... Yeah, they, they've parked. They're like in the driveway. They're coming home from a date night. Love that for them. And they're coming home into their house and the smoke alarm is on because the popcorn, duh. They're like, why is it so freaking smoky in here? Who's making classic popcorn? Also, where's Casey? Pretty sure the dial tone is on the yep. like, phone, whatever. I'm not sure. And I think but- they kind of immediately panic because they sort of notice like, okay, the popcorn is on fire. The yeah. mom literally takes it over to the stove to put out with water. And then also too, they just, they still can't find Casey. Casey. So they're like, Casey, Casey. And the phone, I think, is like off the dial. Listeners, correct us if we're wrong, because I know that Casey also still has a phone in her hand when she's being dragged through the grass. Yeah. Ali, to your point, she definitely has a phone in her hand, she's Casey. She's being dragged. She's being now dragged by the killer in the grass. She also tried to get her parents' attention before they even got into the house. And she was like, oh, uh, I think she, she got, couldn't. Yeah, like, get she was probably stabbed in like the lungs, or, or that's what it was meant to emulate, indi- yeah. indicate. Yeah, she can't speak, but her parents are right there. Can you imagine? Like they're right there, and you can't. That is like my worst actual nightmare. Same. Like that sounds horrible. Actually, I have a lot of nightmares. Yeah. Again, the parents go in the house. 
They're like, where the fuck is Casey? Casey's getting mutilated in their yard. I thought it was so weird that the husband, Casey's father, said, go to the McKenzie's. Wouldn't you just all collectively call 911 and like try and figure it the fuck out? But I read that it was a reference to Halloween. Another reference to Halloween because Jamie Lee Curtis said that to the little boy and little girl in Halloween. It totally didn't make sense. But now reading that fact, I'm like, oh, my God, it makes so much sense. (laughs) Well, I'm like cute, but we needed another connection there. Because like a lot of people, including us, like when you first watch it, you're probably not catching on to that. And then once the mother is like, okay, I'm going to the McKenzie's, I guess, goes outside, she immediately sees her daughter Casey hanging from a tree, slaughtered, butchered, and awful, horrible. Love Again, that. guts cut out just like her boyfriend Steve. Yes, exactly. My question was, how would these or the killer do that? How could they do that? In that short amount of time. I agree. I hope you've all watched this because then you can analyze that time sequence. Like, Mm -hmm. how would they be able to put a body up in a tree? Too quick for one person, one might say. Or even two. The sad part is the parents both see their daughter brutally murdered. And there is a crazy scene of her mom just screaming bloody murder. Yeah. Like, and we get it from the perspective or the POV of like us looking at the mom. And then it pans for us to see Casey in the tree. Great way to start the film. Yes, I agreed. And regarding Drew Barrymore, she's like a top build cast and she gets killed within the first 12 minutes. Yeah, 10 to 12 minutes of the film. For and sure. she's one of the most dominant people on the movie poster. I'm like, oh shit, okay. Well, that's that's a she's way to deal. draw people in. And I feel like that's like one of her finest roles because she... I agree. And she's iconically known for that role yeah. as well. And that Bob... So now we kind of officially start the film and we immediately go to our next scene. Our main gal, played by Nev. Nev. Nev yes. Campbell. <laughs> <laughs> and she is in her room and she's got a cute little like nightie on. And we immediately see a man sneaking into her room. And it turns out to be her lover boy, Billy. Yes, my dubbed lover boy, Billy. Um, A.K.A. Skeet Ulrich. Oh, so hot. So so hot. Want to touch the hiney. What I noted is, okay, I know it's 1996, but like, who was wearing nightgowns like that in 1996? <laughs> he even mentioned some. He's like, he does. He's like, that's what you were to bed? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Well, and my favorite part here is a big deal. Like we mentioned in our one of our podcasts, A Nightmare on Elm Street, this is such a Wes Craven thing is a boy climbing up to that girl's window. So and we they don't s- say, but climbing up probably a trellis of some sort. Who has a trellis, though? Yeah. <laughs> Rich people. Rich people. <laughs> but, yeah, so Billy climbs up the trellis just like Glenn did to Nancy's room. In A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Yep. Totally. Well, and one of my favorite things is when Billy gets into the room, she's kind of like, well, what are you doing here? Blah, blah, blah. And he paces around the room. And this is so creepy, but weirdly so hot. He does such a great job of this. He says, well, you know, the exorcist was on and it got me thinking of you. And she's like, I'm sorry. Like, what about 
the exorcists like would make you think of me. And this is where we kind of start to hear Billy reference a lot of horror films. Yes, this is the first indication. Yeah, so he starts to reference a bunch of horror films and rating systems of films. (laughs) Yep. And I really caught on to that, and I was like, "Oh shit! I, this is there. All the signs are right in front of us." Mm-hmm. Spoiler yeah. alert! Spoiler alert! And he sort of he sort of tells her he's like, you know, while well, I was watching The Exorcist, and you know, things were one way, and then they changed so much, and now they're another way, and that's like kind of how I feel with you. And <laughs> he said we were going from an R on the way to NC seventeen, and then we're back to a PG thirteen, and I was like. <laughs> Oh, my God. So he's essentially, like, trying to get her to sleep with him. Yeah. Which is, this is what this whole thing is. And he asks her if they can do, quote, unquote, top of the clothes stuff, which I thought was really interesting. (laughs) That brought me back to, how old do we think these people are? Oh, I mean, they're probably, like, juniors or seniors. So I would say, like, anywhere from probably, like, 16 to 18. All right. We don't have to dive into our personal, you know, experiences, but, like, think about that, everyone. Yeah, just think about that for yourself for a second. Yep. <laughs> Over the top stuff. Over the top stuff. And, you know, they, they kind of like have a nice little passionate kiss kiss for a second. But it's also very clear, too, that there there's some sort of hesitation in Sydney's demeanor. And we don't know at this point in the film exactly what it is, but there's definitely like a hesitation there. And she sort of stops him from going any further. And there's definitely like that sexual tension. And we're feeling it from his side, not from her side, but he is getting probably more and more frustrated that they haven't like, you know, quote unquote, gone all the way. It's definitely like inferred in this scene. She kind of like sends him home. She's like, okay, well, that's it. And as she's sending him home out of the window. I hate this. She says, would you settle for PG-13? And And she flashes. She shows her boobies. Yes. You don't see them. You don't see them. Apparently Skeet sees them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So after, you know, we have this scene with Sydney and Billy in the bedroom. Now it's like the next day and they are, you know, assumingly going to school. And we see Sydney and, you know, Basically, there's a lot going on at the school. So there's this sort of like wide scene and this like bird's eye view of the entire school. And there's a lot of media. There are reporters talking about the murder of Casey and and Steve that happened the night prior. And we see Sydney and, you know, she actually meets up with Rose McGowan, who plays Tatum. I think Tatum asks her like, oh, did you hear about like Casey and Steve? And Sydney is pretty shook about what happened because Casey was someone that sat next to her in English. And so then we fast forward a little bit and they are in the classroom and Sydney actually takes a little bit of a glance towards an empty seat to her left. And that is probably where Casey sat. Then all of a sudden, Sydney actually gets called to the principal's office. So now it is her turn to be questioned. They've been kind of going student by student just to see like what information they can get about these murders. And as Sydney is getting questioned, two things are kind of interesting here. One of them is that the principal is actually played by Henry Winkler, which if a lot of you guys know, he is Fonzie in Happy Days. So we love him. Very iconic character. And he has a couple of little homages yeah, yeah. <laughs> to his character later on in the film, which are kind of fun. And then during this questioning scene, it's a little bit awkward because they're kind of trying to ask like what her connection is. They're like, Sydney, you know, do you know Casey, blah, blah, blah. But they're also trying to sort of be really careful and dance around something, which it's sort of inferred that something may have happened to her mother. 
they don't want to mention, like, they say something along the lines of, oh, well, like, you know, considering this happened. And it's very clear that, like, something traumatic happened to Sydney, but at this point in the film, we don't exactly know what it is yet. Yeah, and the whole subject gets danced around yep. kind of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. We don't learn till We get really small snippets the entire time. We don't learn till like, the very end. Mm-hmm. But we do know that the anniversary of Sydney's mom's passing is uh, coming, up, is coming yeah. up. Her, the one-year anniversary. Yes. Yep. And then, you know, Sydney gets dismissed, and the very next scene is actually her hanging out with her friends, including Tatum, from the previous scene. And they are ha- hanging out at a fountain right outside the school, which is an iconic scene, also used in Scary Movie. But yeah, I know, Ali, you had a couple notes on this. Where Heelsburg is. So I'm like, oh. Heelsburg. Yes. In wine country. So this is where, so we, we're with Tatum and Sydney, obviously, and we meet Stu. Played by Matthew Lillard. We love. We are Matthew Lillard stands As we have spoken about before, and we will speak about until the end of time. Scooby-Doo, anybody? <laughs> and then also Randy, played by Jamie Kennedy? Yeah. Is his name? Mm-hmm. I think this is a pretty iconic cast for the most part. Totally. Um, Given the time. Oh, gosh. Amazing. Amazing cast. But so they're all sitting around the fountain after the aftermath of their classmates. Demise. Demise. Yeah. (laughs) They're all kind of talking about it. and And some of the guys are being a little jokey about it. They're being jokey. Mr. Billy is being more, you know, buff and smug and kind of just he's being the stronger one and Stu is being the jokey guy Mm -hmm. and again making jokes well they talk about the fact that they were steve and casey were both gutted open right talking about how her liver was in the mailbox and Stu says while he's holding his girlfriend liver alone (laughs) <laughs> which I always laugh at because yeah. I love Matthew Lillard. He's like, liver alone. And he's like, what? I didn't do anything. And like, speaking of livers, that ties to like one of my other favorite, like arguably horror films, which is Silence of the Lambs and like eating a liver with some fava beans. Ew. Just saying that. Hold that for later. Gross. <laughs> one thing I actually brought up to the producer when I was watching this film is if you look at this scene with all of them around the fountain and apologies, spoiler alert, but if you look at this scene at the very beginning when they're all hanging out at the fountain, we see black boots on Stu and mm-hmm. on Billy. And it's almost like they make it a point to make Randy's shoes this bright green like dress shoe so that it's very obvious that it's like nowhere near Stu or Billy's shoes. And now that I know who the killers are, it's just like I'm starting to see these signs that are like very apparent and like sort of hinting at who the killers are. And now that you've opened that floodgate, Emma, I um, might point out a lot more of that as well. As you should. As you should. <laughs> and then our next scene is we we see that Tatum and Sydney actually are kind of making some plans to hang out together later in the day. Sydney's father actually told her in a previous scene when she was in the bedroom 
when Billy snuck in, he he hid for a moment. And her dad said, you know, hey, I'm going to be out of town for the weekend. I'm going to be at like some sort of like aviation conference. And he made it very clear. I'm staying at this hotel. I left you money so that you can buy food for the weekend. And like, if you need anything at all, I am staying at this hotel. He was like very, very clear about it. And honestly, at this time in life, I feel like this is what parents did. If they had to leave for the weekend, whatever, they would sometimes leave their teenager with like enough food to fend for themselves for the weekend and kind of like where they were staying. And that was it. Sydney makes a plan to hang out with Tatum because of like these recent events that have happened and because of what happened with Casey and the murder. And uh, Tatum says, yeah, I'm going to pick you up after practice at like seven o'clock sharp. As Sydney is at her house, she is on the phone with Tatum. Yeah, she's like sort of winding down. She does turn on the TV and she sees some reports of kind of what's going currently on in her town with the murder of Casey and Steve. And this is like the first time that we really see sort of like what has been hinted to previously during like the interview with the cops and everything that Sydney's mom was murdered a year prior And the person on TV on the news says this is very weird considering that just a year ago, Sydney's mom was raped and murdered. It's also important to note, too, that the person reporting on this is actually Courtney Cox's character who plays Gail Weathers in the film. And you can already tell that there's some sort of animosity because when this report is mentioned, Sydney, as she's watching it on the TV, she sort of like rolls her eyes at Gail. So there's obviously some sort of bad blood between the two of them there. And I think we're introduced by a proxy of TV is Cotton Weary, right? The supposed suspect of her mom's death. Her mom's death, yes. Sydney, she decides to take a little bit of a nap, and so she falls asleep on the couch. She wakes up, and I believe, like, they pan to a shot of the clock, actually, and you can see that it's definitely after seven. Mm-hmm. I think it's, like, eight-something at this point. And she does get a call from Tatum, and Tatum's like, hey, I'm so sorry. Practice ran a little bit late, but, like, I'll be over to pick you up soon. Like, don't worry. And she hangs up the phone with Tatum, and then she gets another call, and she's sort of assuming that it's Tatum, and she gets a call from a random person, and they say, what is your favorite scary movie? And then they proceed to have this conversation that kind of resembles what Casey had. Yep. And he says, I'm watching you or something. And mm-hmm. she goes outside and says, hello, what am I doing? She's yeah, like, he says, he says, I'm on the front porch. Yeah. So, and she goes outside and she says, hello, what am I doing? And she puts her finger in her nose. And it reminded me of... What are you waiting for? <laughs> yeah, what am I doing? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> From, I know you did last summer, so I'm like, it's so 90s yeah. to like a girl just to be like shouting something extremely random. Yeah, Sydney is sort of talking to this random person on the phone. I think she's thinking that someone is like messing with her. So again, like just like mm-hmm. Casey, she's sort of just like playing along to their little things. And, you know, they ask, what's your favorite movie? And then now they're on the front porch and she's like, well, what am I doing? And she's like picking her nose and she... She makes it back into her house 
And we actually have a scene where we see the killer again. She does get confronted by the killer and she is kind of playing this cat and mouse where they are going in and out of all of the rooms in her house. She's sort of like barely escaping him by a thread. And there is one point where she makes it back up to her room and she has successfully blocked the killer from getting into her door, but he's definitely trying really hard. And she tries to call the police, but via her computer and she actually types like 911 emergency or whatever. And then she actually does get connected to a dispatcher. As she has been talking to dispatch 911, and all of a sudden the killer, he stopped trying to get through her bedroom door. And Billy shows up and scares the shit out of her climbing through her window. Yeah. And he comes in her room and she's like, oh my God, Billy, thank gosh you're here. And A, why are you here, bro? Very weird timing. And B... He comes into her room and hugs her. He's just like weirdly like, oh, hey, what's up? Yeah. And out of his pocket drops a cell phone. And that's a sign for her to be like, oh, shit, this could be you that's trying to terrorize me. Yep. And they end up going downstairs together and they open up her front door. And as they open up her front door, they see the sheriff and he is holding up the mask of the killer. And the costume of the killer was left outside. So the mask of Ghostface and then the black garb he also wears. They actually end up arresting Billy and taking him into custody as a supposed suspect because of not only like the phone falling out, but being there at the time that this is all happening. And this is also one of the first times that we really get introduced to Dewey, who we have already kind of like had a couple of tiny snippets of view of, but Dewey is Tatum's older brother and he is a sheriff deputy for the town of Woodsboro. Yeah, and it's their dynamic is kind of funny and throughout this film. It is. <laughs> because, you know, she's in high school, he's 25 and she's just like, all right, deputy dipshit, like. <laughs> Tatum like talks shit to him, which was really funny because yeah. he's like obviously the older brother, but he kind of like lets her talk shit to him. <laughs> at this scene, we also get a glimpse at Gail Weathers, who is like the news reporter played by Courtney Cox. And she is there to, again, like report on what's going on. Was there another attack? And so it's kind of interesting that she got the heads up to like be there. How the fuck does Gail Weathers know where everyone is at, at, all, at times. All, all times? She's got plugs, dude. She's got plugs. I guess so, but <laughs> shit, like, kind of crazy. I guess so does the killer. So does the killer. Plural. So then we fast forward and we are now at the sheriff's station and they have Sydney, you know, in a chair. It's kind of like one of those classic scenes at a sheriff or police station. And honestly, I'm kind of curious, like if you've been to a police station before, are they actually like that formatted sort of like this where like there's a, it's like very open concept with a lot of desks in the middle and like you can just see people sitting there because they have Sydney and she is wearing a sheriff jacket and she's, you know, a little bit up from the situation and they actually talk to her and they are trying to get a hold of her dad at the Hilton and they they say like you know we've tried the Hilton and like he's not registered there so that in your head as you're a viewer watching this especially for the first time you're sort of like wait what like her dad is not registered at the Hilton like there could be like several reasons yeah, for that though. I know but they don't really touch on that at no. all which is very interesting so then at this point where Sydney's like kind of being questioned, we also see that she looks over her shoulder and she weirdly can see into a, like a separate room where Billy is being interrogated. And this is one of the hottest looks I've ever seen in my entire life. 
is when Billy looks back and can see her too. And oh like, yeah, and he gives Hole. her like a yeah. It's almost like a look of like I will fucking kill you, but I also love you. It's skate, 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 skate. You're skate, skate, oh, skate, 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 motherfucker. Oh, oh skate, skate, skate. skate. Damn. <laughs> so then, simultaneously, we also see like the news is showing up at the station. Several news media stations are showing up, including Gail Weathers, and she's really trying to work with her cameraman Kenny to try to get the shot. And they're like, "Ah, oh, like how can we get what's going on in there?" What I'm going to say is Gail needs to be nicer to her cameramen because they always die. I wholeheartedly agree. And Kenny was just trying to do his job and eat his Fritos. Kenny did an amazing job. I know. If I could say so myself. And then we we pan kind of back into the actual like station and Billy is begging Sid as he is being walked next to her that he's innocent. During this scene, it reminds me of when Jack is being taken away for being accused of stealing <gasps> the necklace. Which he did you know not. He did do. not. That's another. I know. Down a whole rabbit hole. So when Jack says, "You know me, Rose. You know me," because he's being accused as well. (laughs) And then Tatum is also at the station because obviously, you know, Sydney is, you know, her best friend, and Dewey is her older brother. And she's like, "Dewey, can we please just like go home? I want to take Sydney with us. Like she's gonna stay with us for the night." And it's actually really funny because she's kind of talking shit to him, just like Ali talked about a little bit earlier and he literally says tatum you know you're supposed to respect me when i'm in my uniform mom says that i'm a man of the law <laughs> i wrote this down as a quote she said i'm sorry deputy dewey boy because <laughs> again it's just sort of like she's obviously younger than him but she definitely like has the upper hand in their sibling dynamic and you can definitely feel that dominance that she has over oh, yeah him. Simultaneously, as Sydney and Tatum and Dewey are all trying to exit the building, and they're trying to exit the building without like being in front of any media, Gail and her cameraman they notice they're like, wait, isn't there some sort of an entrance around the corner here? So all the media is like out front of the sheriff's station. I'm also like, how does she know there's a entrance? She's a smart lady. Okay, or she might just guess. Honestly. Or she's a small town reporter girl. She seems scrappy. I mean, good for her. I'm not scrappy. (laughs) And Gail actually does find like a side entrance on the like back side of the building. And her and Kenny start walking towards it at the same time that Sydney, Tatum, and Dewey are walking out of that door. You can kind of just guess as like sort of the viewer watching this movie that there's some bad blood between Gail and Sydney. And Sydney just straight up asks Gail, she's like, oh, so like, how's the book? And you can guess by the clues that you've been given at the beginning of this film. It's probably about Sydney mom and about the murder that took place a year ago gail says oh well i'll send you a copy and at that exact moment sydney punches gail right in the face clocks her and it's honestly an amazing scene loki love that i'm not sure they had a much of an age difference between they them probably didn't at this <laughs> i was like no they probably didn't i don't know why that kind of weirds me out but again also 90s makeup totally throws me off <laughs> Like with their age difference? Yeah. Yes. Like somebody could be like, remember 90s makeup? I don't. So there's a nine year age difference between Courtney Cox and Nev Campbell and my bad. (laughs) But again, the 90s makeup, it's like a heavy, heavy lip Mm -hmm. and like heavy lip and heavy lip liner. For sure. 
a lot of cake on that face. Yep. A lot of cake on, on my face. face. <laughs> so, you know, it looks a little different in yep. the movie. And then so Dewey ends up taking Sydney and Tatum back to Tatum and Dewey's house. And Sydney is staying the night. And Tatum's mom is there just trying to make sure that Sydney is, like, comforted and that she has everything that she needs. And her mom actually comes up to Tatum and Sydney as they are talking about just sort of, like, what happened and how everything's been going the last couple of days and says that she has a phone call. And that they didn't necessarily say like who they were. And I think at this moment, Sydney is sort of hoping that it might be her dad trying to reach her because, mm-hmm. again, the cops have been trying to reach her dad like this whole entire time. She goes downstairs and immediately she can tell by the voice that it's the killer. Sydney is sort of screaming and she is like, holy shit, it's the killer that was on the phone. And Tatum and her mom come down and they are like, oh my God. And then they start kind of yelling for Dewey, like, Dewey, Dewey, like trying to figure out like what's going on and just getting him sort of ready to go. Cause again, he is a deputy and he could probably help if there is some sort of an emergency happening. And then Dewey comes out and it also reminds me of scary movie because Dewey Aww. comes out and he's in his like underwear yeah. and his little undershirt but he's got his gun <laughs> and in scary movie Doofy comes Doofy, out that's with the, name. the vacuum and yes. he said mom I told you not to disrupt me when I'm vacuuming yep so I noted that and I was like he comes out and he's just like in his you know fruit in of the loom nighttime wear yeah his fruit of the loom shirt <laughs> and his gun and he's in he yep. picks up the phone and he's like hello and of course, nobody answers. <laughs> <laughs> so then fast forward and Dewey is taking Sid and Tatum to school. And they, again, there's still like a ton of media at the school. There's a lot going on, especially with like word has definitely spread that like Sid got attacked and this has continued essentially. So then, you know, as the girls are arriving at school, they see Gail and she, you know, is there again doing some media coverage. There's a lot of people there that are trying to see what happened because word has spread that Sid got attacked the previous night. And she goes straight up to to Gail and Gail is a little bit like scared of her a tiny bit and is like, hey, Gail, what's up? And Gail's like... No, 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 I don't want any conflict. And, you know, Sydney basically has to say, like, no, I'm not going to punch you. Like, I'm not going to do anything bad. She's like, I just want to talk off the record. And Gail's like, fat chance. Like, I'm definitely going to record. And Sydney's like, no, 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 please. Like, can we just, like, talk? She kind of talks to her a little bit about the case with her mother. And, you know, at this point, we know that Gail has written this book. Or this book is, you know, going to come out about. I don't think it had come out yet. It might have came out, but it's been pretty vague about her mother's death. Yeah, we don't know, like, you know, the details for sure. Yeah. And Sydney's sort of, like, questioning Gail kind of at this point. And Sydney's like, you put a lot of horrible articles out about me. And she's like, do you not believe, like, what I said, essentially? Or, like, do you not believe that it was Cotton Weary, which is the man that Sydney put behind bars because of her testimony for her mom's death. And Gail's really straight up with her. And she's like, you know, it doesn't really matter what I think. She's like, it's your testimony that put him away. So there's like this sort of like back and forth. And Sydney says, well, Cotton was wearing a jacket and it was, it had my mom's blood on it. And I saw him and Gail sort of, she said, 
You saw someone yes, wearing, wearing the jacket. Yeah. And you get kind of a tiny glimpse of Sydney being like, like sort of doubting herself for like a hot second. Like, obviously, she wanted someone convicted for her mom. She thought it was, like, this person. But there's this tiny, tiny, tiny bit of doubt. And so they're having this conversation because, essentially, she says that, like, Gail kind of, like, owes her for, like, everything that has happened and for, like, doing this whole story, like, on her mom. And they kind of have this, like, little moment where you sort of feel like Gail is going to come into play a little bit more in the film. And then we're back in class and as Sydney is walking down the halls and talking to her her classmates and everything, there is actually a student who dresses up like Ghostface, goes screaming down the hall. And I do want to back up for a hot second because as Dewey was dropping off Sydney and Tatum for school that morning, he did mention to Sydney, hey, I want to let you know that Billy was released. And basically, like, they just, they didn't have anything on him to fully, like, stick him. So he kind of gives her a tiny bit of a warning, like, hey, just want to let you know, like, he's not incarcerated. So, like, beware. But now, fast forward, they're at school and Billy confronts her at school. And he basically is just like, you know, it wasn't me. And then he starts, this is something I don't love. We can get into this, like, as much as we would like. But let's go. It's... I don't love how much he's forcing this, like, physical sexual relationship on her. And I don't like it this entire time. But, like, he gaslights her and manipulates her so much. Because in this specific scene where he sees her at school and he's trying to be like, it wasn't me, Sid, blah, blah, blah. He pins every emotion and everything on her. He says, you haven't been the same since your mom died. You don't even want to touch me. I'm sorry. Her mom was raped and murdered. And apologies. Maybe should have added a little extra, like, spoiler alert there. There's going to be some essay talk in this podcast. But, like, that is just, like, insane to me. Yeah. But yeah, it's just like, it's very aggressive for me. And it's like, give this girl a break. Like her mom just died a year ago. And like, to some people, maybe that seems like a very reasonable amount of time. Like you should be back to normal and back to doing your stuff. But like her mom wasn't just killed. Like she was also like sexually violated. So just, it adds another element, another layer. Yeah. In general, like being pressured is it's never, not okay. it's never yeah. cool. No, totally. Yeah. We'll get to my theories towards the end. Yeah. <laughs> So then, you know, she parts ways with Billy and she she ends up going to the bathroom and she hears these fucking bitches <laughs> talking shit about her. And it's kind of like good cop, bad cop. Like one of them is like, oh, it was like, what if it was Sydney that did all of this? Like she's trying to get blah, blah, blah. Like she wants to do this and that. What if she's the one that like killed her mom, blah, blah, blah. And then the other girl's like, no, like she would not do that. And Sydney's just sitting here in her bathroom stall listening to all of this go down. Yes. And she is victim to gossip about her that she's listening to from a stall. Yeah, so Sydney is, like, in this bathroom, and the girls have left that were, like, talking shit about her, and she hears, like, a whisper of her name. She does, and checks underneath the stalls. Yeah, she, like, peeks her little head under. Which, okay, this might be a gross take or a hot take. Gross or hot, either one. Or, uh, yeah. (laughs) Hot or cold, I'm not sure. But she gets on her hands and knees on the bathroom floor. And the last time I did that, I was fainting in high school freshman (laughs) year after reading a really weird book. Basic concept is don't put your hands and knees on the floor of a bathroom, please. (laughs) Well, yeah, and unless you faint during the scene, I think it's kind of interesting. 
Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. Because she does run into the killer, like, in the bathroom. Again, the girls that were talking shit about her have left. And she runs into the killer. But, like, they have a small little tiff, little altercation, a little physical tussle. And then she, like, runs out of the bathroom, but she doesn't, like, tell the police. She doesn't really, like, tell the principal or anybody. She just, like, leaves. Which she just, I thought like, was kind of silly. Interesting. Yeah. Or interesting. Yeah. <laughs> She goes very casually out and continues her day. But also something not interesting, but synonymous word with interesting is the little mouthy bitch that was talking shit. In the bathroom. Was Skeet Ulrich. Ulrich? Ulrich? Ulrich. Girlfriend. (gasps) What? Yeah. I know. Could have been us. Wow. Damn it. Wow. Could have been me. I mean, I was only I was only five. But <laughs> I <it's> mean. Fine. <laughs> me and Allie were only five, but we're all good. So then after this, we get a shot of like outside the school. And again, the media is all still there. Gail Weathers is still there. And Dewey and Gail have a moment where they, they talk to each other. Gail actually comes up to Dewey and she's definitely flirty with him. And it's kind of weird to me because she... She sort of like just keeps harping on how young he looks. And she's like, you're too young to be like a deputy or a sheriff. And she says, you don't look a day over 12, which to me is like a tiny bit creepy. No, that is creepy. I didn't know that she said 12. That is kind of weird. Yeah. They end up having in real life a seven year difference in their age. Which is like, tell us your skin secrets, Courtney Cox. She looks great. She looks Even great. to this day. Yes. Amazing. So then we move on to another scene where we have Henry Winkler, his character, as the principal. And he has confiscated the costumes of the kids that were, like, running around earlier in the ghost face costumes. And he has the mask. And he tries it on. And I actually read that a an interesting fact during this time is that in the scene where he opens up the closet, there is a jacket mm. hanging in the closet that is a leather jacket, which is supposed to be sort of like an ode to his character Fonzie in Happy Days. And if you notice when he's like looking in the mirror. He's fixing his hair. He's fixing his hair like Fonzie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love, love little odes like that. Me too. And uh, yeah, he tries on the ghost face mask and he, he sort of is like, oh boo or like he says like rah or like something to the mirror and then he gets a knock at his door and this is a hilarious part in the film because it is very unexpected it is very unpredictable and henry winkler's character the principal he opens the door to try to see who just knocked on it and he just sees a janitor out in the hallway and the janitor is literally wearing a red and green striped sweater and a little hat just like freddy krueger and he's like the janitor's like what and i'm pretty sure the principal says like oh fred or like oh it's just you fred or like something along those lines and something that we actually learn about this scene this is actually a cameo from Wes Craven, who also did Nightmare on Elm Street, you guys. So Mm -hmm. this is a clear tie to that film. And I didn't even notice that. So like, good for you guys. Like I, that's a beautiful I loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved it. It was great. So then at this point, the principal, he does, you know, he does get stabbed by the killer. Like we love Henry. So we love Henry. 
And he does get stabbed and killed. And then in the film, we sort of just move on, (laughs) which is kind of sad. Then we immediately go to our next scene, which is Tatum and Sid. And they are at Tatum's house, as it can be assumed. And they are actually talking about Sydney's mom's death. So Sydney knew one thing. And a lot of people in the town knew other things, apparently, allegedly. And Sydney knew that she had been sleeping with other men. Tatum kind of alleges that she was sleeping with a bunch of men. The mom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not Sydney. (laughs) (laughs) She's a virgin right now. As of this moment. Oops. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, And so I think like Tatum is trying to be kind of real with Sydney and is like, you know, I, I think she, I think Sydney has her mom sort of on a little bit of a pedestal and is like, you know, my mom was not this like promiscuous person and was not this, but literally like everyone in the town is like, not to be mean, but like your mom was kind of known for having these, you know, rendezvous, totally, whatever you want to call it. And that's a hard pill to like swallow. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine. But they also, again, we keep referencing movies in this film. Tatum says, this is some kind of Wes Carpenter film. Yeah. She says, you're starting to sound like some kind of Wes Carpenter flick. Which is kind of an inside joke about Scream because it's directed by Wes Craven. (laughs) Yeah, well, and then... It's like Wes Craven and John Carpenter. Exactly. Combined into one. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Yeah. And then we we jump ahead and now we are at, this is actually one of my favorite scenes. Same. Video store. It's like a, it's a blockbuster essentially. Basically, yeah. But they don't, they obviously can't use blockbuster in the film, but it's a blockbuster and Randy works there. And Stu and Randy are having a conversation at the video store. And they're kind of, again, they're also talking about sort of like what happened, like who it could possibly be that's like doing all of this, you know, yada, yada. So there's a girl who comes up to Randy at the video store as he's like kind of talking to Stu. And she's like, hey, can you can you help me find this film? You know, it has the mom in it, like from E.T. And Randy immediately is like, oh, the howling. It's straight ahead in the horror section. And so I love that because you love that movie i love that film it's an iconic film just in my my growing and we'll be covering my growing it. my growing up my my adolescence and it's also kind of funny too because like he sort of mentions like a horror section so we kind of get like that fun little kitschy i don't know just kind of like film reference there too he's like oh that's in so poor taste that billy's in the horror section after yeah. he's been accused yeah because- and he's talking to a bunch of hot girls. Yeah. Yeah. So Randy's sitting there and he's like, well, that's actually in poor taste. And I think Stu's like, kind of like, well, what is? And he goes, if you were just accused of like murdering someone, why would you be hanging out in the horror section? And then it literally pans to Billy and he's hanging out in the horror section with like two hot girls. <laughs> just I also like said. want to note that like, I think that in every scene of this movie, Billy Loomis is so hot. Is Well, yes, duh. But I think he's wearing like a Fruit of the Loom V-neck in every scene. Oh, yeah. He's like extremely basic. I love it. Extremely basic. (laughs) (laughs) And Randy is still trying to talk to Stu. He's sort of jokingly, but not jokingly at the same time is like, 
you know, Billy is like the one that did it. Right. And he's like sort of explaining like, you know, this is standard horror movie stuff like X, Y, Z, like this is why, like he's the killer. And so that whole scene in the video store is really awesome to me. There's a lot of commentary that Randy makes and it just all sort of like makes sense truly from like a horror film formula, like point of view. So it's alluding to a lot of what's going to happen next. And because we've put so many spoilers up top. I'll say it. Randy was right the entire time. He literally was right the entire time. I don't know if Randy knew that it was Stu and And, Billy, uh but I think that Randy definitely knew it was one of the two of them. I mean, he he says it several times. Billy. That's something that we're definitely going to come back to. And then after this little video store scene, we have this shot of like several different businesses like throughout the whole town that are all closing down because the principal, unfortunately, before he passed, he had said that school was out for the rest of the day and that the whole town was on a 9 p.m. curfew. So like, why does the principal get to... Why does he get to dictate Like, Yeah, no idea. No idea. Shouldn't it be like city council or anything? (laughs) So... It's very interesting. Also, when the businesses were being closed, it was like sunlight. Yeah. (laughs) Not 9 p.m.? Yeah. Very, very weird. After this curfew has been initiated, I guess Stu wants to throw this raging party. (laughs) And I'm like, this could be either a really good thing or a bad thing because the killer could be there or it could be safety for everybody. We'll see what happens. Obviously, you probably know if you've seen it. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Tatum and Sydney go to get supplies in town with Dewey and they go to the grocery store and it's a kind of funny conversation once they reunite is what if they make a movie out of this of your life who would play you and Dewey says I see you as a young Meg Ryan and then Sydney says with my luck it'd be Tori Spelling who plays <laughs> her in the second and is referred to in or the third or almost plays her in the in the or no oh yeah I forgot about mm-hmm. that oh my gosh so many fun facts. We also see the killer in the grocery store. So it's it's kind of alluding to all these things, even though curfew is like about to happen. The killer is like just always sort of lurking in the background. And I'm and, like, how? But um, also as a teenager, who has the time or the gas money? That's <laughs> okay. I think gas was way more affordable back True. then, I will say. True. <laughs> but after this whole like kind of grocery store scene and Dewey is now dropping the girls off at said party because he has been told by like the sheriff, the main sheriff guy that, you know, he needs to keep a very close eye on Sydney. He's sort of like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to attend this party essentially just to be bodyguard backup for Sydney and for, you know, his sister Tatum as well. The girls get dropped off at the party. Again, I'm I'm so shocked at how like as a sibling, I am just like, why is Dewey so casual about this? Like I would be like, fuck no, you cannot go anywhere. Like like why? Like, why is it okay for them to go to a party even if you're just watching them? Yeah. Tell them no. And he's also, I mean, we drink and, you know. Yeah. But yeah, there's like he's a, con- like, he's, he's like, whatever. These things. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. This scene with this house party is 42 minutes long. And this was shot over the course of 21 days. And literally, it was shot from like sun 
set to sunrise. And something really funny, actually, during this film, after it wrapped, the whole crew, they got T-shirts made that literally said, I survived scene 118, which was the name of the scene during shooting. And the cast and crew, like, jokingly called it literally the longest night in horror history. I want that shirt. I want it as well. I think we should just make it. (laughs) Let's do it. (laughs) And so, of course, Gail and her little sneaky little self. And Kenny. And Kenny, her her handy cameraman they have like somehow found out where this party is going to be or they followed you know dewey and the girls and gail actually like you know talks to dewey and they sort of like walk off together dewey's kind of like do you want to just like come with me into this party like essentially and they they go into the party together which is so funny to me because It also kind of shows that people do not take Dewey seriously as a deputy. Because, like, if I saw a deputy at a party, I'm pretty sure all of us would be, like, freaking out. Yeah, but what if you knew him? If we were at that age. Well, that's what I'm saying, is I feel like people know him, so they also, like, just don't take him seriously. I guess I'm Oh, Dewey, you're not going to, like... I almost said I'm 25, and I'm not. I'm 32. (laughs) Wow. Don't laugh at me like that. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um... I'm humbled. But- I'm humble. I'm kind. <laughs> I just think it's like kind of funny that they, Gail is literally walking through the party too. And all these girls are like starstruck. They're like, oh my I gosh, watch you I watch you all, all the time. time. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. And so that, that's kind of funny to me. I'd also be like, or again, here. <laughs> no, no, no. We, we would all be scrambling at this point. So I have a couple of points on this weird party that's happening during curfew at Stu's parents' house. And I'm like... Huge house, by the way. Huge. Gargantuan. And I'm like, why are everybody's parents gone? Especially during this time. At the party, we're talking about all of the horror films that they're trying to decide to watch. And they're talking about Jamie Lee Curtis and like, why is she in all of these horror films? And Randy comes in and says, she's the screen queen. And fun fact (laughs) is she's in this bitchin' show called Screen Queens, available on Hulu. We're not, we're not sponsored, but it's one of my favorite and shows. And we love it, and it's, we agree. Yes, it's one of my favorite shows. So yeah, so good. I thought that, I'm like, Ryan Murphy, did you uh, take some inspo from that? And so, you know, right after that, after they've kind of had this, like, trying to decide what they're going to watch moment, Tatum goes to the garage. To- because who asked her to get beer? Stew. Mm-hmm. Her boyfriend. Motherfucking stew. Ladies, don't let, ever do that. Let your boyfriend get that beer. Mm-hmm. 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 Or like be an independent or woman. Or come with me. Yeah. You carry it. I'll open the door. <laughs> be an independent woman. Do whatever you want, but like don't do this shit. I agree. I agree. So then naturally, we have a very classic scene here, which Tatum goes to the garage for some drinks. And she gets a little bit spooked because something, a couple of things just, just, I just want to call them like garage things. They fall to the ground and they kind of startle her. And then all of a sudden she sees a cat run through the garage and then through the doggy door. And she's kind of like, oh shit. Okay. Like that scared me. And she goes to try to get out of the garage and she finds that she is, you know, locked in and... Then all of a sudden, the lights also go off, and she runs into Ghostface. He 
comes through the door from the house into the garage and she thinks he's fake. Like she fully is believing that he is someone just like impersonating Ghostface. And she says several things to him. Yes. Iconic. Very, very iconic things. And one of the things that she says to him is she says like. You want to play psycho killer? Yeah. So she says like, do you want to play psycho killer? And then she says, can I be the helpless victim? And the ghost face person in this scene, or they're shaking their head. And then she sort of starts to gather that this is a real situation. And she's trying her best to kind of escape this guy. So they sort of have a little bit of like a fight scene. There's a little bit of like rough and tumbling happening. Yeah. She's throwing beer bottles and he just kind of stands there. And then he runs at her and then she ducks and he like roll tides over her body. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. I know. That was like, such a funny scene. <laughs> yeah. And she, she then realizes there's that like weird little doggy door. I could probably like try to escape through it. And so she tries to make her way through it. And spoiler alert, does not make it all the way through. She gets like an arm and like part of her torso through. And then Ghostface, you know, he has sort of this like, idea that he is going to bring up the garage door with the automatic garage door opener and that is actually how he kills her and obviously her head is like sticking out the doggy door and her body's on the other side and her face neck spine gets like completely crushed in the garage door i also read that this manufactured doggy door wasn't like small enough to support her so they had to like do a bunch of stuff to make her not fall oh really yeah and that's interesting kind of terrifying oh my gosh i know (laughs) i'm just like i don't think that would be my again we're in 2023 it would be like calling our friends totally yo someone's trying to kill me please come and i also feel like i mean like i don't personally have a garage door opener but i think like your parents do and then i know like the producer does like is is there some sort of safety maybe that goes off in some like weird way? Not really. Like, so those no. things don't happen. I like don't know. no. Yeah, I don't know. Very weird. I also thought that a very silly thing that happens during this scene too is after this whole thing goes down, he literally walks back into the house into the party, and I'm like, they don't show it, but I'm like, was no one like in the probable like kitchen space or like but does he though? Yes, he literally, I have it in my notes, like, he walks back into the party through the door that leads from the house to the garage. Because this is clearly Billy. I just I just don't know how, like, no one would have, like, seen that and been, like, or unless everyone's just dressing up like the ghost face killer and just being, like, crazy little kids. I don't know. It's just very weird to me. 96, man. Because, yeah, then my next my next note is that Billy shows up. Right. And he shows up to the party and he immediately goes up to Sydney and she's obviously like kind of reluctant to talk to him, but he asks, you know, if they can go talk and Stu is like, yeah, well, why don't you guys like go talk upstairs in my parents' room, blah, blah, blah. And you're sort of at this point like, oh no, like some shit is going to happen with Sydney. There's like something's going to go down. Right. And so you're a little like, mm, I'm a little apprehensive, but they carry on and do their thing. Well- I'm just, I'm really surprised about how reluctant she was and then how fast she just went for it. She just yeah. was like, again, we go back to the Billy always re- references movies. Mm-hmm. We're always in a movie. You yeah. just can't 
Pick your genre. Exactly. Yep. And then Sydney's like, what about a good old-fashioned porno? And I was just <laughs> like, oh, shit, girl. That was a... She wants to get down. I was like, that's a 18365, like, all the degrees is. Like- well, and just like Ali had kind of mentioned earlier, like, as she was, as Sydney was, like, kind of talking to Tatum, she's like, I kind of feel bad. I've sort of, I have been distant to Billy, and I haven't, you know, she, she sort of, like, has now gaslighted herself almost a little bit and manipulated herself into saying, like, you know, maybe I should give it up to Billy because I have held out for so long and he's been so patient with me. So at this point, now that they're at Stu's house at this party, like Sydney is kind of like, I think she's sort of mentally preparing, like, you know what? I'm going to like take it to the next physical level with Billy. Ladies, never give it up if you don't want to. Never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. So kind of at the same time that, you know, Billy and Sydney go off and they go up to Stu's parents' bedroom and they're going to go have their like quote unquote chat, Randy and, you know, a lot of the party goers at Stu's house are getting ready to watch like a horror movie. And side note of the scene is that Gail has actually, when she was in the house, she set up a secret camera to kind of view what was going on at the party. And she's now in the van in her news van with Kenny and they are reviewing the live footage, but they notice that there is about a 30 second delay, which is actually going to come into play. A few scenes from now, we bounce back into the friends downstairs about to watch a horror movie and they're all getting ready to watch the classic Halloween. And Randy, our fave video store man, is talking to everyone. He's talking to the whole group about the rules for surviving a horror movie. And it's kind of funny because it has a lot to do with... Like what's currently happening. (laughs) What's currently happening and our final girl rules from the previous movie we... Reviewed. Reviewed called The Final Girls. The Final Girls, yep. His rule, he's he's very, what, you guys don't know about these rules? There are three rules. You have to be a virgin. <laughs> ne- the rule is never have sex, at least in the film. Never have sex. Yep. And don't drink or do drugs. Check. And never say, I'll be right back. Because you won't be right back. Or sometimes you will. Dewey actually shows up at the van that Gail and Kenny are, you know, looking at the cameras in. And again, this is like right outside of the party. They're literally like right there. And Dewey says that he received a call from, you know, his sheriff that they may have located a car that could potentially belong actually to Sydney's dad, who, if you guys remember, we are trying to find throughout this entire film mm-hmm. because as soon as he left for his like quote unquote conference, he has not been spotted again, which many people can probably assume that he might not be with us anymore, but, you know, they spot a car in some bushes very near the party. And so Dewey gets called, you know, by the sheriff team to go and check it out. And he essentially asks Gail if she wants to go with him. Which is like and weird. Very weird. But again, we're getting some flirty romantic vibes here. So Sure. But if I'm a police officer and I'm like, And a reporter. Yeah. I'm like, oh, like, I have do a you crush want- on you. And do you want her like with you through like everything that you're investigating? Well, also, if it's, like, actually a lucrative crime scene. Exactly. Like, I don't know. It just, it's very interesting. <laughs> it's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and we see 
Gail and Dewey and they kind of walk off together. Dewey actually makes a point that he wants to walk to where this supposed car is versus driving. And he asks Gail if she's like down and she's kind of like, okay, yeah, sure. So then, you know, they start walking and doing their thing. And then we also pan back at the same time back to Sydney and Billy up in the bedroom and they're, they're getting pretty, pretty hot and heavy. There's some um, heavy petting going on. So Sydney, after she's doing this like heavy petting, um, again, scene changes. And now we're back to the friends that are at the party downstairs. Randy actually gets a call and it's kind of unclear, like who it is that called him. I'm, that's what I keep thinking about is like, they get the call. The principal, Henry Winkler has been slaughtered and is hanging on the goal, goalpost. I'm not good at sports. Okay. Of the football field at the school at Woodsboro High. Yeah. And so all the kids are like, let's go. Oh my God. Why? We? And yeah, all the kids are like weirdly so stoked that the principal got killed. And they're like so excited to go to drive to the school to go see it. Even if I Question didn't mark? like my principal, I'd be like, no, this is so disrespectful. I'd be like, that's horrifying yeah. that someone got murdered. I don't know. It's just very. Very, very odd. But very hey, Wes Craven, do your thing. Yeah, do your thing. So then actually on that note, like several of the teenagers leave Stu's house where they're all about to watch Halloween. And, you know, Sydney and Billy are upstairs making out and doing things. The thing. Doing, what is it called? Like bumping uglies. <laughs> I love it that you just made yourself laugh. <laughs> I did. <laughs> And, you know, at this time, all of the, like a bunch of teenagers leave, just like Ali said, to go and kind of like, I don't know, they want to go see their principal in a morbid way. Yeah. And they're running in their cars. They're all driving off in like, not a very, I was going to say it's not a city kept road. It's definitely like some kind of a, oh. like a dirt road kind of thing. It's a little bit like countryside-ish. And Dale, Dale, and Gail and Dewey are you know, still trying to find this supposed car that is in like a ditch somewhere very close to the party. And they're on foot, mind you. And they see some of the teenagers' cars basically like driving towards them. And it gets to the point where Dewey and Gail think that they're going to get run over by one of these teenagers in their cars. And they kind of like run them off the road. And Gail and Dewey sort of like run down this like small embankment and they end up like on top of each other. And they're like, ooh. <laughs> and they, so romantic, they do, apparently. Spoiler alert, they do share a kiss, a little kissy. And at the same time, they find a car. Gail turns her head and she's like, is that the car that you were looking for? And it's Sidney Prescott's father's car. But he is not in it. Mm-mm. Just the car. But next to whose house? Stu's house. Oh, that rhymed. Weird. (laughs) (laughs) And again, the next scene goes to Sid and she's like with Billy and she, they don't show obviously the scene of them like doing anything like super intimate other than kissing, but it's, it's inferred at the end because she's she's, buttoning up her little blouse. Yeah. She's buttoning up her blouse. Billy's kind of, they're all like both like, you know, quote unquote, like cleaning up gross. And, (laughs) and she starts to ask Billy like a couple of questions. She immediately asks him, she's like, so who 
did you call when you got arrested? Like you, you always get that one call. Like, who did you call? And he immediately says like, oh, I called my dad. And she's like, that's weird. I was like right next to the sheriff and he was actually the one that called your dad. He sort of deflects a little bit. She's like, just very curious. She's like, like she can tell that he's lying in a way. And I think that she's like, sort of at this point, really starting to gather like, oh shit, it actually like might be Billy. But like, hold on, let's take a step back. Why post-coital? Yes, my favorite word. (laughs) I could see if you, I know you guys can't see this and I promise we're going to get video soon, but like I literally saw her lips starting to form the word coital. Coital. (laughs) So she was like, hey, let's turn it, this Um, movie into Is it post-not clarity? Pardon? (laughs) But anyways, why is she all hot and heavy during like their makeout sesh and she's like, let's turn this into a porno or, you know, referencing back to the- Post-not clarity. Her on her, yeah, ass? like she, you know, was like, okay, that's over now. I can think clearly now. Okay, timeline. I'm just saying that's the only explanation I have is post not clarity. So timeline wise, do you mean to say it again? Yes, because post not clarity. Thank you. Post not clarity. <laughs> so basically, two days ago, she was like, "No, fuck this. You can see my boobs. You only, can't, only, and you can't touch me." All of a sudden, she thinks her her boyfriend might have tried to kill her. And then he shows up at a party that she didn't want him to be at. And then let's go up to the room that Stu suggested we go up to. Mm -hmm. And then they fuck. And then this doesn't make any sense. I think she's just been pressured enough by the guy. And damn. And just like we talked about earlier, she has been also gaslit and manipulated into the situation. Antagonist and protagonist have just had sex. Yep. And, now, Sydney, our antagonist, our final girl, not anymore, actually, based on the rules, yeah. is questioning her boyfriend, Billy, Billy again, because she has post-clarity. <laughs> Post-coital yeah. clarity. clarity. Oh, I like that, actually. So, now she's like, well, who'd you call? And X, Y, Z. And then we see Ghostface pop into the room and attack them. And not them, him. Well, so the killer ends up stabbing Billy multiple times in the chest. We see him bloody fall to the ground, what have you. And Sydney is like, holy fucking shit. She's like, I got to get the fuck out of here. And so the killer actually chases Sid and she ends up making her way actually up to the attic And again, he's like gonna break in and get her in the attic. And so she's like, literally, my only way out is through the attic window. So I'm just like, why the fuck would you go to the attic? You know, maybe maybe post-coital clarity is not that clear. Maybe you're too post-coital. That's a hard word to say. (laughs) Post-coital. Maybe you're too clear. (laughs) Post-coital. See? That's what I'm saying. Our producer's going to kill us. He hates us right now. She ends up actually crawling out of the window, the attic window. She's she's, good at crawling, huh? She's good at crawling. She slips a tiny bit and you get a little spooked. And then she ends up falling down onto the boat (laughs) in the driveway, which as I watched it happen, I was like, damn, that must have hurt like so bad. But she gets up. Okay. For the stunt double, probably hurt, but... And very sad because at this point, if I saw my best friend, okay, headphones are off, pen is thrown, 
So at this point, no. Okay. No. 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 <laughs> Not Hermione. No. Not me. Not Ron. <laughs> Not Hermione. You. you. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Anyways, moving on. So then at this point, Sydney, she has seen Tatum. She's freaked the fuck out, obviously. And she runs to try to, like, get, like, some sort of help. And she actually ends up seeing, like, the news van. Runs up to it. She's like, okay, maybe, like, Gail and her dude, Kenny, the cameraman, are there. Or even Dewey. She runs up and she slams on the door. Kenny opens it and he's, like, eating a bag of chips. It's, like, very much my energy. Like, I'm like, hey, what's up? Like, I'm just eating some hot Cheetos. Kenny's always the chip guy. He's He's like, He's the chip guy. 100%. And he lets her into the van. She's like, we got to close it, blah, blah, blah. And they are looking at the film and... I love, God, I love this scene. Oh, I love it. Okay, so at this time, in the home and the house, Randy, he is now alone watching Halloween by himself just, like, sad. on the couch. Sad, but. I do that also. Honestly, I relate. I do too. I do that. Okay. I did that last night. <laughs> I mean, like, low-key me too. Yeah. And he's watching it by himself and he's saying to the TV, he's like, Look behind you. Look behind you. Come on. Because he's watching Halloween. So he's screaming this to Jamie Lee Curtis as like some of the final scenes are happening in Halloween. And at the same time, Kenny and now Sydney, because now she's in the van with Kenny, they are watching the same thing happen to Jamie. They're watching him on the camera say this, shout this stuff to the TV. And they are seeing the killer behind Jamie in their camera. In real life, in Stu's living room, at the exact same time this is happening, Kenny opens the door because he's like, we got to go tell Randy that this is happening and like, stop it. And then he turns back around to Sid and he's in like the doorway. And he just gets like. And he says, oh no, there's a 30 second delay. Slashed. (laughs) Yep. He gets, unfortunately, poor Kenny man gets his throat slashed. So. So sad. So sad. So sad for him and no more chips, I guess. No more chips. We send our condolences. Yeah, to the chip factory. Via chips. Yeah. Now, Sydney is in this freaking van and she is trying to escape the killer who is literally like, like, I don't know. Imagine you being like attacked in a van with the door open and I don't know. I just think the whole thing is like very scary. So I feel like attacked in a van is. And it's also hard for her to get out, you know? Well, I think the. Unless I'm mistaken. Well, she ends up getting stabbed. Yes. Okay. So Sydney Sydney is, you know, trying to fight off the dude in the opening of the van, the the killer, and Ghostface. And she does end up actually getting stabbed. And but I don't think the stab is bad enough to where she can't like run off. So she does end up like kind of like running off from him. And then we pan to or like move on to another scene where Dewey and Gail are actually coming back to the house because, again, they just discovered Sydney's dad's car in, like, a ditch nearby. And so they're coming back to the house having no idea that any shit has, like, happened. And they decide to split up right outside the front of the house. Dewey's like, yeah, you go back to your van and go see, like, what's up with Kenny. And, like, I'm going to go in the house, essentially. So they, they split up. And Gail, unfortunately, finds Kenny. She doesn't find his body just yet but she finds like blood as she's trying to look for him and she gets super freaked out 
goes into the van and she's trying to start up the van so she can like probably just get the hell out of there. And there's so much blood. this part. Because the killer has put Kenny up on the roof Mm -hmm. and blood has spilled now onto the windshield and Gail is literally windshield wiping it off. And, you know, as she, like, stops and starts the van, Kenny's body actually, like, slips forward onto, like, the top of the van. And I'm, like, very scary. a Kenny fan, so. Oh, I'm a Kenny fan, a Kenny stan, a Kenny all day, lamb. all the time. yes. A Kenny land. <laughs> a Kenny, we love chips. Ban, yeah. <laughs> yeah, all of the things. Chips for days. And Randy actually ends up showing up as well to... The van that she's, like, trying to drive away with. And she has a phone because there's actually a phone in the van. And she's actually, like, at this point trying to call 911 because of, obviously, all the shit that's gone down. And she sees Randy outside of her, like, driver's side, like, window. And it freaks her out. And she actually, like, hits him, like, repeated times in the head. <laughs> like, she's like, no! da 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 Hits him. And then Gail ends up actually like swerving pretty badly on the road and she crashes the van. She goes into a ravine and crashes the van into a tree. So at this point in the film, you're like, okay, Gail done. Like she got real hurt in that van accident. So then, you know, Sydney is running back to the house now and she runs up to the front door and she actually sees Dewey in the doorway and he looks really weird and he ends up falling down and we see a knife in his back. So he has clearly been stabbed. She ends up making her way like back into the house. She sees Randy right near Dewey's fallen body and Randy kind of startles her a little bit. He gets up and is like, oh my gosh, you know, Sydney, I'm pretty sure that it's Stu that did all of this. We need to get help, you know, yada, yada. And they're all like kind of in the doorway, like porch part of the house. And then Stu ends up like running up. And it's funny because Randy like got there just like a few seconds before and has said like, hey, Sydney, I think like Stu is the one that like did this. But then Stu comes up and he's like, oh, my God, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Both of the guys are kind of like at each other's necks. Like, no, you're the one that did this. No, you're the one. Blah, blah, blah. And Sydney is like, I don't know what to fucking do. She ends up getting Dewey's gun and she points it actually at both of them. She says, fuck both of you. And she closes the door. And at the same time, Billy comes stumbling out from a bedroom or hallway or something upstairs. He actually falls down the stairs. So really great acting on his part because of what we know that's going to happen very shortly. So then after Billy falls down the stairs, he is trying to kind of open the front door again. And Sydney is trying to warn him like, no, no, no. And he's like, give me the gun, Sydney. Give me the gun. And she does give him the gun. And then he opens the door, the front door for just a hot second. And actually Randy jumps in and Randy's like, Hey guys, like Stu, like he's outside. He's gone mad. And then it pans to Billy's face and Billy says, and I quote, we all go a little mad sometimes. And then he immediately shoots Randy, which if you were watching this for the very first time, you're probably shook. And a little sad that poor Randy gets shot in this. Then at this point, Billy 
actually like licks his fingers, which is an iconic scene. And a <laughs> lot of people sexy. think it's kind of hot. I'm like including <laughs> me and Ali in a weird yes. way. And he says like, oh, it's just corn syrup. Like they used in that scene in Carrie with the pig's blood. And again, yet another like movie reference, which we love. We're definitely going to do Carrie. So be ready for that. They also do use corn syrup yeah they actually did yeah that was a that was a fact that we found out is that they they ended up actually using corn syrup in this scene in the film and sydney is obviously freaked out now that she has found out that billy is kind of psycho and probably responsible for all of this and she tries to sort of turn her back and start to walk towards or run towards the kitchen so Stu shows up in our kitchen doorway and he seems disheveled and kind of you know distraught and wounded and he comes in and Sydney basically like falls into his arms a little bit and is like stew but then he pulls out that little device that changes your voice and says surprise Sydney yep and this is the pivotal moment in the film where we gather that the killers are both Billy and stew which is kind of, again, like we've been alluding to, we obviously we've seen this many times, but if you know that fact beforehand, you can see all of those clues throughout the film. Yeah, now that you know, like we, we definitely encourage you to watch it again because you will pick up on things that you never picked up on before. Mm-hmm. And it's like, they make it obvious, but not obvious. Like, we're, we're definitely, like, I think we classify ourselves as pretty smart people. But as we, like, first watch this film, it's not apparently oblivious, like, who is, who are the killers, so to speak. I love that you classify me as a, a smart person, but I don't agree. So I do. Think, but, like, oh, stop it. But, like, thank oh, you, my stop love. It. You're intelligent. <laughs> and, you know. Billy and Stu kind of have this like cat and mouse little moment where they're not necessarily chasing Sydney, but they're sort of like walking around the kitchen, talking to her, telling them about all the shit that they've been up to as like the killers now. And one of the things that they do bring up is that that they framed Cotton Weary, which was the gentleman who Sydney had identified as killing and raping her mother. A year prior. So as we're learning that these are the two killers and revealing all of this, Sydney's asking about a motive. And Billy kind of alludes to what Randy said previously in the video store. It's the millennium. Motives are incidental. Then he goes into... So then at this point, Sydney is just asking why. Like, she's like, you know, why did you guys frame you know, cotton weary. Why were you guys even after my mother in the first place? Like what, what was the reason? What is the motive? Why are you doing all of this? And, you know, Billy reveals that apparently Sydney's mom had relations with his dad, which is what inevitably caused his mother to leave. And so he's obviously got some pent up aggression and pent up emotions about that. And he is fully taking it out on Sydney's family, including Sydney's mom and now people that she loves in Woodsboro. 
And then at this point, Stu and Billy reveal that Sydney's dad is actually alive and they have him in a closet nearby the kitchen, which is where they were all talking about the motive for Billy and all of this stuff. And they bring Sydney's dad out and he is taped up, mouth taped, feet, hands, everything can barely move. And they basically tell her that their plan is to frame her dad. They are going to hurt themselves, like really hurt themselves, so that it looks like they are just victims. And they plan to frame her dad. And his motive, obviously, is that, you know, he was really upset that his wife, Sydney's mom, was sleeping with other people and that he went to, you know, he killed himself after all of this as well. And then they put the voice changer and one of their cell phones into In his pocket, his pocket mm-hmm. so that they can further you know, prove this, like, quote-unquote, framing. So basically, in Allie's brain, Sydney's mom was labeled as a slut, and she was killed for that. By Billy. And Stu, actually. Yep. And then now, a year later, the revenge is coming back to take out on Sydney, which I don't know why that would be, except for just revenge, and gonna take out the dad, too. Yep. And Billy and Stu end up kind of weirdly, like, taking turns stabbing each other. And there's a weird dynamic here because Billy stabs Stu, and then Stu stabs Billy, and then... whatever Whoever stabs who, what I got from that is the subtle animosity towards each, each yes, other. Yes, yes, yeah. I was like, okay, there... There's know, a power struggle here, and it's, it's very power clear. Struggle. Yeah, it's very clear that... Billy is kind of like the leader between the two. Yep. He's sort of bossing Stu a little bit around. And actually, we find out a little later in the film, but Sydney is like very curious what Stu's motive is in all of this because she has nothing personal with Stu. And he literally says later on, he says, he's like, I just fold like under peer pressure, which is crazy that you would just do something so heinous because your friend like peer pressured you to do it. I mean, look at the... I mean, that happens. Look at today. Yeah. (laughs) There's definitely been cases where things have happened. So then it gets to a point where they've stabbed each other now. They're like truly bleeding out at this point for real. And Billy, Billy has actually instructed Stu on specific ways to stab so that it's not like an actual real internal bleeding issue, but it's more like superficial. And um, he asks Stu to go grab the gun off the table and so that he can complete killing Sydney's dad. And we find out that the gun is actually it's missing. Missing. Yep. And then all of a sudden we see Gail and she has the gun. And at this point in the film, you really think like everything is over. Gail is going to kill these dudes and she goes to fire. And unfortunately, the safety is on. Gilly or Gilly. <laughs> Billy ends up being able to maneuver the gun away from Gail. And Billy pushes her really badly, and she ends up kind of back on the front porch, which is exactly where Dewey yep. is at. Mm-hmm. And during this time, while there's like an altercation going on with Gail, Sydney actually manages to escape. And so when Billy and Stu turn back to try to focus their attention back on Sydney and her dad, they discover that Sydney is gone. Well, it's kind of funny because it's like a little click fight. Yeah. And all of a sudden, a phone rings, one of their phones, and they answer it. 
and it's Sydney, and she uses the voice changer, which I fucking love. And she tells them that, you know, she wants to play a little game. And she says, I called the police. So while Sydney's being a badass and calling them out on their shit and using their own tactics, Stu's on the phone and he's gushing blood. He's been stabbed too deep by Billy. And he mentions a couple of times, he's like, I feel kind of woozy. Yeah. And it's not funny because that sucks. And I love Matthew Lillard, but it's pretty comical in the film. And she says, I've already called the cops, you motherfuckers. And he's like, something like, really? And then my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. They're going to be so mad at me. And I think that's the best line ever. I agree. Because, (laughs) yeah, you were peer pressured into murdering people. And your mom and dad are going to be really mad at you. Yep. Yep. And then as they're, like, trying to find her... She pops out of the closet and stabs Billy an umbrella how multiple Mar- times. Yeah. How Mary Poppins. You how know? Mary fucking Poppins mm-hmm. is that? <laughs> and, you know, she stabs Billy enough times that he's like now to the floor, kind of like passed out. And then Stu now is trying to fight her and they have a little bit of a tussle and they end up in the living room together and she ends up pushing the TV onto his head and it essentially like crushes slash electrocutes his head. Mind you, th- again, this is, I was just going to Mind say. you, this is not a 2023 monitor yep. or TV mm-hmm. where it's like a flat screen, really skinny, really light. Yep. It is a 1996 heavyweight box. Yep. On your head. However, Matthew Lillard, I was listening to a interview with him and we don't see him actually, you know, taken out or die. So D-E-A-D, dead. D-E-A-D. We don't see that, actually. So it's he, inferred. It's inferred, I know. But he says, and he, meaning Matthew Lillard, says he could come back in a franchise. <laughs> there you go. You heard it here first. <laughs> you can hear it a lot of places. Yeah, you could hear it a lot of places. <laughs> All of this stuff is going on with Stu. And Gail actually intervenes in a scene with Billy and with Sydney. And he is about to kill Sydney. And he says, Say hello to your mother. But then we've got our girl Gail, and she comes and saves the day, and she shoots Billy before he's able to stab Sydney. Not Gail just being like the hero here. And then another positive is that Randy actually survives. So he kind of like pops up, you know, from being kind of taken out at some point. Which is great because we love We love Randy. We love Jamie Kennedy. We love you. And (laughs) it's actually funny because she, Randy and Sydney at this time, because again, Gail has shot Billy and Sydney is kind of like kicking his leg, just like make sure he's dead. And she, I think one of them says like, you know, in the horror film, like it's always, Randy. It's Randy. He's like yeah. they always like come back or whatever, and they're gonna like have like one last jump scare essentially. And we have this moment where Billy actually kind of pops up for a second and is like, <gasps> and Sydney has the gun and she shoots him right in the head, and it is so satisfying. And then it's like over, yeah. 
Yeah. The next scene is Gail is reporting now oh. that she went through all of that. With her like bloody lip. With her bloody lip, her blood she has a little bit of blood on her mm-hmm. forehead too. And she's like, she literally was like, something out of a scary movie. See? And then credits, baby. Mentioned like five times in that film. <laughs> but yeah, I was like iconic. Love that for her. Yeah. And then the, it was a crazy way to end the movie, but then we get like what? Let's see. Seven. So more many films, films yeah. after after. <laughs> and like if you're a fan, like Scream really just like I don't know. I feel like we we've said this in a lot of our films, but it truly did like set the stage for a lot of films that came out in the early two thousands and even now. A lot of the actors were just so iconic at the time and like just having Wes Craven have having him make this film, having it sort of be in line a little bit with like Freddy Krueger and what was going on with like Nightmare on Elm Street is just super fascinating. As much as I talk shit about this film and poke holes in it, this was like a pivotal movie for us because it kind of implemented a genre and a playbook, if you will, of a movie, like a horror movie. And I feel like this was also, like, the first time that the horror movie formula, quote-unquote, was mentioned. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I feel like this was, like, the movie that, like, was, like, oh, there's sort of a little bit of a of a common occurrence between it also, a lot of horror movies. It also <laughs> broke – it also disregarded the trope of the final girl theory. Yes, Because Sydney has – she you has know, sex she and has she's sex. a final girl. Yeah, and she is a final girl. And so is Gail. And we know Gail is not a she's I don't an think she's a final. Yeah. She ain't a verge. Oh well, we don't know that, but <laughs> I'm assuming she's not. Yeah. But no, she's definitely not. Who am I talking about? <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of just Wes Craven kind of put this new mold in for our generation of like how to make a new horror film. Totally agree. Which I think is pretty awesome. And again, at the top I said, I love this movie. I'm super biased. Again, I beat it to shit, but... But here we are. But here we are. I still love it. And just like we said also, you know, the top and the bottom of this film, the top and the bottom of this film are probably the best parts. And there's a lot of stuff you can skip in between. Doesn't make me love it any less. I would say there's like tw- like a good twenty minutes maybe in the middle, but I think like truly, I think that like all of it ne- you need it all for the context, you know. Like our final thoughts. What's your favorite scene of the film? Okay, so my favorite scene of the film is actually when Rose McGowan's character Tatum gets trapped in the the garage Why? because <laughs> it's. Like, the only scene really in the film that's not, like, a stabbing or, like, a shooting that's sort of, like, an like an easy kind of way to be killed. And I feel like it's just super random. And also, like, I feel like probably most of us have been to, like, some sort of a house party at one point where someone's, like, go to the garage. There's drinks in there. And so it kind of plays on, like, a, a true fear in a way. So that's definitely my favorite scene of the movie. Oh, my God. Because I was... Was I, like, so lame that I didn't go to a house party that had a garage with a <laughs> fridge in it? You, well, so you definitely did. I think you just don't remember. No, 
I probably didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, so Al's, what's your favorite? What's mine? Thing? Okay. I think I said it before, and I, I think it's anything stew related. Oh, no, okay. no, 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 no. No. Here's my favorite. And liver alone oh, is liver amazing. alone. And liver my alone. mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Okay, so you love stew. I love stew, I guess. Which we like Matthew, oh we love you. We love you. Okay, well then, would you consider this film scary? No. So I would not oh, consider, okay. yes, I do not consider this film scary whatsoever, but I feel like it's entertaining and I don't want to eat while I watch it because it's bloody enough. Okay. You know, do you? I I also agree. I don't really think it's like fully scary, but I will say- I did watch it several times alone, and when I watched it, there were parts that were scary to me. Like, there were, I'm not going to lie, like, when I watched it, I was very much double-checking my locks on my apartment, making sure that, like, my sliding glass door was closed properly, like, all of that kind of stuff. I just feel like it sort of, it had a underlying, I don't know, sort of, like, got to me a tiny bit. But not, like, anything, like, overwhelmingly scary. I've obviously seen, like, way more scary movies. And slasher films don't scare me as much, like we've talked about in the film or, you know, in our previous episodes. But it did scare me a tiny bit. Okay. On a 1 to 10 scale of scary, I would rank this... I'd say, like, a 5. Ooh, I'd give it a 2. Okay. And, like... Yeah, like, 4 or 5 for me. And, like, a 3 on comedy. Okay, I feel like four comedy. <laughs> okay. I'll agree. I'll agree with that. Okay, so then diving into our trivia questions. Hey. For our trivia, our first question was, who painted the famous artwork, The Scream, that partially inspired the ghost face mask? I'm pretty sure I got this one, Emma. So I ha- I said Picasso, which I don't think is right. <laughs> so... I got this right. <laughs> How do you know? I did a lot of research, bro. Okay, who is it? Edward is it not Picasso? Edward Munch. Edward? Yeah. Oh, I like mm-hmm. that name. I'm going to write that in my notes Edward. just for later. Okay, so then question number two was, what early horror scream queen has a cameo as a reporter in this film? I got this right. It's Linda Blair. <gasps> okay. From so, The Exorcist. Do I get? Okay. I no, put. You pa- don't get any points. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Betch, I put Patty Lapone or Linda Blair. Okay. Well, I got that one right too. <laughs> sure. Anyways, okay, so I am anyways, right. Last question. So, the last question. So, she got one and I got one. I got one and a half. <laughs> and then the last one is. Finish this famous cycle quote used by the killer. We all go a little blank sometimes. Mad. Same. You put mad. I don't believe you. I'm just kidding. I believe you. That's fine. Okay, she got it. Dude, I watched this movie today. Okay, so basically we tied. (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for listening to another episode of Spooky Chicks and Horror Flicks. You can find us on all major podcast platforms at Spooky Chicks and Horror Flicks, on Instagram at Spooky Chicks and Horror Flicks, Patreon at Spooky Chicks and Horror Flat, 
wax, <laughs> horror flicks, and on TikTok at Spooky Chicks and Horror Flicks. Thank you all so much for listening and stay spooky, fuckers. <laughs>